Can you even call yourself a resource for pets if you don't do dentals, bro? We're talking about our dental services coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Madison Brown. And welcome to our show. So normally this is where we say we're coming to you from our headquarters at 59th and Troost. Um, but we made a solemn vow to never lie to you, our wonderful audience. Um, we are actually in a different building. We're in uh, the building next door where we've started expanding. We've moved administrative offices over there uh, so that we can expand the space that we have for our services in the main building. So, you know, um, I would say like emotionally and spiritually, we're still coming to you from the headquarters at 59th and Truce, but physically, no. But I'll never say this again, and I will only say we're coming to you from our headquarters at 59th and Truce, just so you know. Okay, great. So here's what. Uh, why don't we go do some pet news? Generally, when folks adopt a pet, they're looking at those younger ones, the puppies and kitties and whatnot. But one woman from Massachusetts is bucking that trend by taking in a 17-year-old cat with special needs, and we couldn't be happier. Jillian loves looking at the local shelter websites to see who's cute. Same Jillian, same. When she saw Raina's beautiful face and saw that she was an older lady with hyperthyroidism and an inoperable stomach tumor, she just knew she needed to take her in. Those beautiful green eyes got her. They're, they're really gorgeous. Hyperthyroidism is treatable. The stomach tumor, though, is too risky to remove at her age. So she's considered a hospice patient, and Jillian is providing palliative care. But you'd never know it to see Raina in her new home. She loves the kitchen rug and lays there all day. She purrs constantly, even when she eats. Their friendship has brought so much to Jillian's life that she's sharing the story in the hopes that more people will adopt senior cats and give them happy lives for the time they have left. Um, I have, if, if, if I did not have a cat um, that would destroy other cats, um, I would absolutely take in a senior cat. For sure. Absolutely. I, as somebody that has worked in the shelter world, it is just heartbreaking to see those senior cats, senior pets in general, have to stay at the shelter for months. I mean, and they're usually the sweetest ones. Mm -hmm. They are the easiest ones to take care of even. I mean, I know, know this one has some health issues, but you know that she's just, you know, Laying on the kitchen rug, sunbathing all day. Yeah, she's, 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 this is the life for her, basically. This is where she wants to be. Um, and she's doing great. And, you know, she, she will eventually not be doing great. But I think it's really important. I don't know. There is something very special about knowing that the end is coming and really trying to make things as great and and calm and wonderful and peaceful as possible for that pet before it gets to that point. Absolutely. And I applaud the owner, Jillian, because that takes a special kind of person to take that on. So yeah. you can just tell that she has a huge heart. Yep. And next up, I want to talk to you guys about food allergies. Did you know that dogs can have food allergies just like us? It's true. And what are the most common food allergies, you might ask? Well, it's the ingredients that are almost always listed in dog food. The most common food allergies in canines include beef, wheat, 
eggs, lamb, pork, fish, and chicken. But unlike humans, dogs have a more mild reaction to these food allergies, making it difficult for owners to know that they even have an allergy. In one owner's case, she had no idea that her dog Miko was allergic to the food she had been feeding him for the last five years, guys. It wasn't until she took him to be groomed, and one of the groomers pointed out that he had discolored brown fur around his mouth. The groomer suggested switching up his dog food from a chicken formula to beef. Not only did the brown spots on his fur start to disappear, but he also stopped scratching and licking constantly, which is another sign of allergies. Other symptoms include itchy ears and gastrointestinal issues such as gas, vomiting, and diarrhea. Yeesh. If you think your pet may have a food allergy, you can consult your veterinarian or go ahead and try slowly switching over their pet food like this owner did. And I want to put an emphasis on slowly, guys, because if you switch it over too fast, you're just going to add more problems. I can personally relate to this as my dog, Sonny, also has an allergy to chicken. He had constant gastrointestinal issues for the first three years of his life, and it wasn't until I tried a sensitive diet of lamb and rice that his symptoms finally went away. It was such a relief to finally figure out what was causing all of his GI upset. And I was still in college at the time, so my roommates were pretty relieved to not have to deal with his rancid farts anymore either. I mean, they could clear a room. <laughs> and it is, it's true. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very common um, allergy, chicken specifically. Uh, I have a cat that has a chicken allergy too, yep. and it was the same thing. She just like watery diarrhea in the litter box. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always grateful in those situations that I have a cat and not a dog. Absolutely. And I just kind of cover it up and scoop it and <laughs> bye bye. See you later. Um, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't fun for her and we didn't want especially with cats, it's difficult because you don't want them to get like litter box aversion or anything like that. So um no, so 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 good on you for figuring that out Absolutely. and good on her. And it is definitely a situation where if you're going to change their diet, um, you can slowly switch things over. You should check in with your vet just to make sure that they know what's going on mm-hmm. and they could maybe, you know, provide some kind of um, guidelines for you to make sure that they're still getting all the nutrition that they need and stuff like that. But they should generally be supportive as long as you're not doing anything that's detrimental to their health. So Absolutely. Yeah. And it it's really hard because animals can't tell you like, hey, something's going on with me internally, right. you know. Yep. So and actually, like I said, you know, I was in college when he was having all these issues. And then once I graduated and started making, you know, big girl money, I was like, you know what, let me get him. So let me play around with his dog food. I got to try, you know, more higher end dog food brands, which doesn't always have to be the case. But it was when I tried the sensitive diet that really helps. So if you if your dog is having some upset tummy issues, I do recommend just giving it a shot. Yep. Well, so this episode, folks, uh, we are talking about our dental services. Um, This is a program that's been around for a little over a year. Um, We're very happy with it. And we want to take you behind the scenes. So here we go. What is your pet's name? Uh, Jelly Bean. Jelly Bean. All right. So yes, go ahead and pull up to the front of the first lane and I'll be back with your paperwork. Okay. A little over a year ago, we took a couple of big steps forward in terms of the care we provide. 
One of those steps was our urgent care, which we looked at a few episodes ago. The other was our dental program, which isn't as flashy as urgent care, but in the end, it also saves a lot of lives. And that's because over 70% of pets show at least some degree of periodontal disease by the age of three. So what does that mean for our pet's health? We asked our chief veterinarian, Dr. Malia Washington. So when bacteria is in the mouth, it turns into plaque. Plaque can be removed, tartar cannot. So until you get in there and scale it, the tartar is going to continue to build and build. And that bacteria is always going to be there and start to circulate in the mouth and in the bloodstream. So same as humans, heart disease, kidney disease, it can lead to complications with those things. And a lot of the older pets that we see, the small dogs, those are going to be our big problem dental patients. And they already are prone to having acquired heart disease and heart murmurs and congestive heart failure. So any dental issue compounds any other health issue. It also can cause GI issues, constant swelling of that nasty bacteria. Um, If they have a root that's infected enough, it can pass into the sinus cavity, especially the canines, and cause what's called a fistula. So this open hole of bacteria going straight into the sinuses, straight into the lungs. So it's actually can get pretty severe pretty fast. Um, And then the pet is in a lot of pain. A lot of times when we take all these teeth out, they go home and feel better. Even though they've just had major oral surgery, they feel great because a lot of that ish, those issues and that pain is gone. So while our urgent care saves lives, our dental program prevents pets from getting in a life-threatening situation in the first place. The day that I shadow the dental team, I get here early. Clinic opens at eight and I'm here at seven because that's when Danny gets here. This is a new IV fluid bag. We get a new one every day. Okay. change out the extension for every patient just to make sure that there's no contamination. Denny Parr has been here for about two years, give or take. After the dental program's initial launch, it became clear to Dr. Washington that we needed someone dedicated to that particular department so that they could really develop a rhythm. Um, With changing of the staff, that was probably our biggest battle in having somebody that was confident in dental cleanings and dental x-ray and somebody who was really efficient enough to not only manage the day-to-day tasks and client communications, but also help schedule and perform other duties that a normal technician usually wouldn't do. Where only Danny's only one person in that department and she does the job of probably three on a daily basis. So getting her into a place where she's comfortable in that role really only took a couple of months. And then it, then as she was more comfortable, we just started doing more and more. Um, and she did a lot of her own training on her own. So that was really amazing and helped us as doctors become a lot more efficient because we weren't having to re x-ray multiple patients. The patients weren't under as long. We could do a lot more procedures. And as she learned what each doctor likes, it just increases that efficiency. So It was really just understanding what can we do in this department, who is the right fit for the department, and what, how can we grow? And so we're still kind of learning, but Danny's helped us tremendously in that way. This is our consent form. This side goes over the fact that we'll be doing any extractions necessary, um, x-rays as the doctor needs them, and then the other side is the consent to procedure, and then also acknowledgement of risk. So with anesthesia, there is always a little risk. We're going to do blood work and everything to make sure we don't see a reason that jelly bean wouldn't be okay, but we just want you to know there's always a little bit of risk with it. And then just one signature. The first patient today is jelly bean. 
Jellybean is a little brown, mop-headed, seven-month-old pup who was actually just spayed at the end of June. And when she was here for surgery, we discovered that she actually had four retained puppy teeth. That's no good, so we set up an appointment to get them pulled. Jellybean is considered a level two dental. The level of dentals that we um, that we established were basically um, condensed down from five levels, and it's different than how you would grade them as a doctor. So that so people who have yes, yeah, so there are four grades. You Yes, so you're right. The way that we are translating that into our estimates and client communication is how long does it take for us to extract the teeth, right? So a level one for us is a grade one or maybe a grade two when you're looking at periodontal disease. Um, and that's really just your run-of-the-mill basic cleaning. A level two is up to about an hour of extractions. A level three is about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, depends on the situation. And so the only difference in charges would be the time that we are in the procedure. To Dr. Cynthia Goldston, who is the doctor in dentals the day I shadow, Jelly Bean's situation can be simplified somewhat. Why did you find the baby teeth? You got the baby teeth. Why you got so many? Spending time with the pets first thing is part of the gig, partially for an assessment and to make sure they seem in good health, but also just to get them familiar with us. Dr. Goldston is generally a joy to be around, so I know my day in dentals will be fun, but it's fun with a purpose. Jellybean looks okay, but before we can do surgery, we've got to do blood work so that we can make sure she's fit to be put under. Um, so the purple top is for the CBC, which looks at like red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. And then the little clear thing with the green top is for the chemistry panel, which looks at like your kidney values, your liver values, proteins in the blood, things like that. Gotcha. So that kind of tells you like the functioning of the organs. So what we're looking at basically is whether or not the dog can be put under safely to extract the teeth or yeah so it assesses the organ function to make sure that they're able to process the anesthesia properly and then you want to look at say like the red blood cells and the platelets and stuff especially if you're doing any sort of procedure that involves blood loss because let's say if they're already anemic or if they're having any platelet problems that they might not be able to clot properly then you would want to kind of investigate that before you start making a bleed gotcha Our second dental patient today is a black and white, long-haired chihuahua named Stormy. Luxurious locks do not prevent tartar from forming. Stormy, sorry to say. But Stormy is just a level two as well. Probably nothing too crazy, but we'll have to see what the x-rays say after cleaning. Often people bring their pets in for cleanings when they've never gotten them before. Even if they've been told how important dental health is, it's simply not something that's in the budgets of many pet owners, no matter how much of a priority it is. Our goal has been to make it more affordable to get your pet's teeth taken care of. The thought of all those pets in pain out there is just too much to take. And honestly, when we talk to a lot of owners afterwards, they're surprised at how bad things were, which speaks to the amount of education needed among pet owners in general. I mean, definitely when it's a case where they are just totally unaware of how bad the dental disease is, and then we'll do the dental, take care of everything, and you know, extract most or all of the teeth. And then we take the dog back out and go over everything. And the owner is, you know, just so upset. They're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know it was so bad. And, like, thank you so much for helping them. And, you know, they're just – this is the first time they've ever heard about the severity of dental disease in animals. And they're just so grateful that we've helped them when they weren't even aware before. I think there's so many. Yeah. (laughs) Like that. Like, I think there's just been so many just like that. And 
once we just take the time to educate them a little bit, it really changes their perspective and they're really, really grateful. And then they don't have to spend dollars $1,500, $2,000, right? Because some of these estimates that we've seen from other clinics are just really expensive. So um, when if we can keep it affordable and help them, then there's a lot. There's actually, I can't even think of just one. There's just so many that are like that. Right. Yeah. And definitely somewhere they were even afraid that they were going to have to relinquish their pet if they couldn't get the proper care because they did want them to be taken care of. And then we were able to, to do that for them. Yeah. And this is the point of the program. Used to be we'd see a pet in during vaccinations or surgery that needed dental work, sometimes very much so. But we ended up having to refer them elsewhere to get the work done. And if they didn't have the money to do that, well, we had very little room to maneuver. And that left pets in pain, something very much against who we are and what we do. Now we have somewhere they can go. We can give them estimates. We can do free dental exams. It's helped us become more of a resource for the community to get the help they need. Jellybean's blood work looks good, so Danny and Dr. Goldston can get to work. Once she's under, the first thing is placing a catheter. Um, so it provides a catheter is placed directly into the vein, and it provides you direct access into there to give either fluids to help rehydrate them and support their blood pressure during the procedure um, and also allows you to give medications directly into the vein so pain medications are effective faster or in the case of say an emergency like with CPR you can give your emergency drugs directly into the circulation right that's more effective Goldston sharpens her dental elevator on a sharpening stone because a dull dental elevator is going to require more force to break down the ligament, which increases the likelihood of breaking the tooth, which, of course, we don't want. As she works, Dr. Goldston explains to us exactly how it works taking out these deciduous canine teeth. So I was explaining to Danny you can use a needle, like an 18-gauge needle for these little deciduous canine teeth. You basically use it like the dental elevator. Okay. And you just use it around the base of the tooth to help break down that ligament. And it makes it bleed, but that bleeding is helpful because that blood clot that forms can help loosen up that periodontal ligament as well. So if you're doing any other procedure, like let's say we were doing a spay as well, you do this beforehand and then you can like leave the needle there while you're doing your spay and it helps loosen up that ligament and it can help make removal of that tooth a lot easier. So a lot of the procedure is patience, but those long, long puppy teeth come out eventually. This is the difficult part with these deciduous canines, according to Goldston, is the, the long root and making sure you get everything out. And we do. So jelly beans golden. Well, almost. Doc puts in a quick stitch or two at the surgery sites to help with healing. And then Danny does dental x-rays to make sure there are no surprises. And there are none. So Goldston, as she does with every dental patient, trims her nails, then takes Jelly Bean while she's still unconscious and brushes her. Make sure that any blood that's gotten on her fur is cleaned out because she's been laying on a table for a while and her fur has gotten smushed and nobody wants to pick up their pet to find them looking like they just sobered up after a three-day bender. Does Jelly Bean get a little kiss on her head during this process? I don't know. Maybe. Here's the thing about dentals, though. Danny has not stopped moving, not stopped watching. Danny is busy and thorough and detail-oriented. She's clearly the grease that keeps the machine moving at a good pace. And Dr. Washington agrees. We talked a couple times, actually, and I was like, I think you'd be really good at this. Just think think about it. This is what it would look like. Um, 
And we had there a couple other technicians had come in and tried it, and it just wasn't a good fit for them. Um, so it was a struggle for the doctors to find consistency because we depend we depend so much on our technicians. So if you are a technician, just know that we cannot survive without you. And it makes our job so much easier when we have confident and competent technicians. And across the board, we really do have that here. And it makes our jobs a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable, I guess, if you have someone that can support you as a technician. So it was a transition for Danny, but I think that um, like most things, it was kind of overwhelming, like jump in the deep end and you'll, you'll figure it out, you know? Um, but she really was very, very proactive in getting her own training on the side. She came to me, found some like different classes in CE. She asked a lot of questions. She takes a lot of notes. She's very quiet. <laughs> I over talk a lot of people all the time, but generally I think she absorbs a lot of information and is always eager to learn and try new things. And honestly, without her, this department could not be as successful as it is, like truly. So I appreciate you. Well, and when I started, I'd only been teching for six months, so it was a lot yeah. to take that on, and I was really doubting just the my ability to handle the department, but I had support from everybody. It's one thing to start a dental program, and it's another to grow it so that we can help as many people as possible. To that end, Danny and the docs have done a pretty great job. And not only that, but creating the space for this program has allowed us to do something else as well. Now that we have this suite for procedures, we can also use that space for other things, mass removals, heartworm treatments, enucleations, sometimes even amputations, as ever opening one door reveals like three new ones we can go through. And this is how we've built what we have, bit by bit, with staff truly dedicated to making the best of what we've got. Can we chat for a moment? Please have a seat. It's about your cat. Chances are they're not getting the care they need. But it's true. Here's some statistics to give you context. More homes in the U.S. have dogs than cats, 48,255,413 for dogs versus 31,896,077 for cats. But among the people that do own cats, they tend to own more cats per household than dog owners do dogs. And yet, dogs get taken to the vet more. In fact, in a study of pet owners' vet care habits in 2016, nearly 52% of cat owners said they hadn't taken their cat anywhere for routine or preventative care versus only 20% of dog owners. That's a huge difference. With National Take Your Cat to the Vet Day coming up in about a week, we thought we'd take a look at the myths that lead some folks to think their cat doesn't need that yearly visit to the vet. Cats are not dogs. We can all agree on that, right? But even if your cat seems a little more aloof than your dog or quiet, that doesn't change the fact that they have the same basic needs as a dog. They should be going to the vet yearly for checkups just like dogs because they can have the same issues. So let's explode some of these myths around cat health. Myth one, cats don't get as sick as often as dogs. This is one of those things that people think is the case but is demonstrably false. Cats don't get sick less than dogs. They're just better at hiding it. And cat colonies showing weakness can put you in a pretty precarious position socially. So really, we should be paying more attention to our cats, not less. Everything from bad breath to changes in eating habits to an unwillingness to jump to high places can be indicators of some kind of issue. It's really just a matter of knowing your cat and watching for changes. Myth number two. 
if your cats are indoors, you really don't have anything to worry about. We hear this one a lot. People think that they don't need to get their cat any vaccinations because, well, they're indoor only, so why would they? One very simple answer is that if the unthinkable happened and your cat ended up on the street either by escaping or due to a house fire or some other emergency, they would be unprotected. Rabies, FVRCP, FIV, feline leukemia are all possible for them to contract. But more than that, what if some other cat shows up and sneaks inside the house? What if a rat or a bat were to get in? Just because those vectors for disease aren't always present inside the home doesn't mean they can't end up there. I've had bats swoop in during the five seconds I had the porch door open, didn't see them, and didn't find them until the next day when the cats wouldn't stop obsessing over something on the ceiling. And I'm a pretty conscientious person when it comes to keeping bugs and bats and creepy crawlies out of my house. The point is that you can never be sure. Myth number three, cats don't like to go to the vet. This is less a myth than it is a partial truth and one that's easy enough to fix. Cats tend to be creatures of habit. That means being put into a little container and driven to the vet may not be their favorite thing to do. But for a lot of cats, going to the vet is a perfectly normal experience. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy or fun for them, but you can make things a lot better with some basic behavioral training. For example, I have a cat named Tanar who isn't necessarily afraid of the vet, but didn't like being in a carrier. She's a former street cat who, despite the fact that she looks like a little chubby seal, is incredibly fast and hard to catch. So getting her to the vet was a bit of a problem. We actually adopted her from the same vet, so once she's there, she's great and loves everyone. The solution was we started feeding her in the carrier. She started associating the carrier with something positive, and before long, her fear of the carrier was all but gone. But you don't have to use food. Toys, blankets, even small beds can be used to make the carrier a much less frightening place. Regular vet visits. Taking your cat to the vet for regular checkups is important. It allows them to have baseline measurements for a whole host of vital signs. Why is this important? Because it allows them to more quickly identify what the problem is when there are changes in your cat's behavior, diet, or activity levels. But there's also something to be said for establishing a strong relationship with a veterinarian you trust and who understands cats and their specific handling needs. The American Association of Feline Practitioners has a certification for cat-friendly practices that acts as a mark of excellence in dealing specifically with cats and knowing how to best handle them to make vet visits as stress-free as possible. This doesn't mean that a vet without this designation won't treat your cat well. Always go with a veterinarian that you're comfortable with and works well with your cat. But there are private practice vets that don't know what to do with cats and treat them like they're little dogs. It's unfortunate and rare, but it happens. You should always be comfortable with the care and handling of your pet in a private practice situation. Cats get a bad reputation sometimes and can be pretty misunderstood. Doing right by them means paying attention to them, knowing their habits, and reacting accordingly when they change. We know they might seem aloof and independent, but they aren't magic that we know of, so they need the same preventative care that you and I and Fido need. It's one of the best ways to ensure a long, happy, healthy life for your feline friend. And now... It's time to say goodbye to you, friends. A big thanks to everybody here at the clinic that made this episode possible. As for us, we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together. We're community supported and rely on people just like you to help us expand our reach and services to make a more pet friendly community. Just go to PRCKC.org and you can donate, volunteer, make an appointment and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, 
please rate us and leave us a review. That always helps people find us. For all the latest info, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So, tail wags and purrs to you and yours, and as the writer Dan Greenberg said, cats are dangerous companions for writers because cat watching is a near-perfect method of writing avoidance. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center Kansas City, hosted by Madison Brown and Dave Shapiro, produced, written, recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Rock Musical Industries. Music.